Amen. Please be seated. In a moment, I will direct your attention to the two verses that are printed on your insert. This will be a starting point for this morning's Advent sermon meditation. I will take two weeks to challenge you with two specific thoughts for you and your family to consider as you celebrate Christmas and think about the birth of Jesus. I purposely every year choose to use two sermons for this. I don't want to overcomplicate this. I want to just give you something that I hope will be food for you from the Word of God. Uh, this week, I want to talk to you about this admixture of the reality of the joy of Christ coming and the solemnity of His coming to die. And then next week, I want to talk to you about worshiping Jesus. You know, everyone who's religious says they worship something. Uh, people worship something, whether they admit it or not. But what is unique to Christianity is that we worship Jesus. We come and adore Him. So I'm going to spend next week's sermon talking to you about that from the Word of God. Uh, going forward, just as a roadmap, uh, we finished Galatians after almost a year in that book. I'm going to spend a few sermons on the Word and the sacraments in the beginning of January. Nathan, as he preaches, will continue through Daniel. Then I will start the book of Philippians by the end of January. And we'll work through Philippians for as long as it takes us. So I want you to be praying for what's coming next, praying that God would open your hearts to his word and also that he would give me clarity and accuracy as I bring the word to you each week. So I trust you will pray for me as I pray for you in this regard. Now today, I want us to spend some time thinking of Jesus's mission coming to die, especially at this time when we look forward to or celebrate the coming of Jesus as a baby. It is important for us to remember this admixture of joy and solemnity that should characterize Christmas for those who trust in Christ and believe his word. So with that, hear first Matthew 1, 20 and 21 as we begin our study this morning. Hear God's holy word. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have just sung the celebratory prospect of Christ's birth. We sing of this throughout the Advent season. Every year we pause and contemplate your great act in sending your son born of a virgin, to save us from our sins. We sing, we celebrate, we buy gifts for those we love. We make much of being happy, bright, jolly, and merry during this Advent Christmas season. It is certainly a time of merriment. At the same time, we do not wish to become complacent or negligent as we contemplate the words of the gospel that I've just read. For he will save his people from their sins. We know to be freed from our sins, Jesus Christ had to die. Indeed, he was born to die. In Christ we pray. Amen. The birth of a new baby brings such joy to parents. Not just to the parents, the extended family, grandparents, cousins, church families. We are blessed here. It seems like every month one or two babies are born. Babies represent God's rich blessing. They give us hope, excitement. The uncertainty of it brings a certain excitement to it. In fact, it's 
wonderful even having had smaller children, watching new parents, especially parents who have their first child, and just the joy that comes over them and all the newness, their schedule changes, and just the different energies that have to be spent now that a newborn is in the home. And we kind of laugh a little bit as older couples as we see their sleep diminish week to week. There's nothing quite like looking ahead to babies being born, is there? It just brings some joy. It brings something that is indescribable. It's beyond anything else we really experience. But also, on the other hand, there is that prospect that is true for all of us. And every one of us, including those sweet little babies that are born, unless Jesus comes first, we're going to die. Every one of us. That's the fact of life. The joy of birth and the reality, the solemnity of impending death. Every one of us. And life for everyone is short. Some shorter than others. But it's short in relation to eternity. In every year, just like those new babies being born, we're reminded of the great prospect of life to come and what will happen. Uh, people die that we know. Maybe you've lost someone who you love this year. I know this year there was a colleague, a seminary colleague of mine who died after a long battle with cancer. I've been coaching his sons in soccer for some years. I sat with him in seminary classes. And even though uh, we knew he was very sick, even when he did die, it was very difficult, very hard to understand. And still to this day, can't really wrap my head around it, knowing he has three sons just like I do. That's reality. Christians can talk about this. We, we are the only ones that have something to look forward to, realizing life eternal. Birth and death, the two subjects, joy and soberness and solemnity, they go together, don't they? Well, when we consider the birth of Christ, especially the season, I'm going to challenge you families to think of both. This is what is embodied in the story. This is why there is joy in Jesus coming, because he will die to save us from our sins. But there is an admixture that we have to recognize here. We have to see it. An unusual admixture, if you will of joy and solemnity when we contemplate the birth of Christ. You know, each of us will die. We weren't born to die. We do die because of the fall. Jesus was born to die so that we could live eternally. Now, let's consider both of these realities this morning. First, consider with me how the birth of Christ was and is a cause for great joy. Now, you won't be able to flip to every passage as I read from them. So I would just encourage you just to listen, write them down if you'd like, and use these as a devotional for out, throughout this week. First, realize that Jesus' birth was a long, forecasted, and awaited event. It just didn't spring on the scene. You know, I was watching the History Channel this week, and there was this show, this documentary that was riveting. It was done by Jewish producers who wanted to show the history of the Jewish people in Palestine. A long, contested thing, as you know. But I was very impressed because they used the biblical text to show the history of Israel through the different captivities and so forth, treated it as it is reliable history. Wonderfully done. Leads right up until the, the end of the Old Testament and how in that time frame uh, they lose their land and they're exiled and the Romans come in and, and by the time the Romans come in, uh, they just have a vassal king there and they're, they're occupying the land. But in 70 AD, the temple is destroyed, Jerusalem's destroyed. The Jews are dispersed, and it's 1,900 years before they ever have access to that land again. And it's a wonderful documentary showing you what happens historically. Uh, but in it, even though it paints Christians in a good light, meaning that the Christians preserve a lot of the holy sites and so forth during that 1,900-year period, and so when the Jews come back in 1948, 
Uh, a lot of it has been preserved because of Christians. So they're grateful for that. But they treat Jesus like he was just this guy who showed up on the scene in the first century. There was this Jewish rabbi named Jesus who was very charismatic and people followed him in great numbers and his following grew and grew and, and it treats him as though he just is a Johnny come lately. He just showed up in the first century. Sadly and really tragically missing the fact that Jesus' birth is a long forecasted event that they had right there in their scriptures and they missed it. That's what I want us to contemplate again this year regarding the joy of Christ's birth. It was a long forecasted event. You could see the shadows of it in Genesis 12 when Genesis talks with Abraham about how he will bless the nations through Abraham. Listen to what he says. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. Then he says, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And he's forecasting the coming of Christ. The only truly faithful covenant keeping Jew who ever lived. Christ would bless the nations. So this is contemplation, this joy about the birth of Christ that will come already in Genesis 12. 2,000 years before Jesus actually came, the time of Abraham. Later in Deuteronomy, Moses, about 1,400 years before the coming of Christ, we hear these words, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. This is Moses talking. From your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of my, the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brothers. Talking about Jesus to come. 1,400 years before he comes. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. 700 years before Jesus comes, the prophet Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. shall call his name Emmanuel. Later in that same great prophetic book, Isaiah says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shine. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David, and over his kingdom, to establish and to uphold it, justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Hundreds of years before Jesus comes, Micah even nails the place of the birth, Bethlehem of Ephratah who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from of ancient days. There's a joy in the coming of Christ. It is a long forecast and awaited event. In his seminal work, uh, Pete Stone said this in a book called Science Speaks. In the modern science of probability, if you would just take eight prophecies in the Old Testament regarding Christ. Eight of literally dozens. If you just take eight of them, he says that the chance that any man might have fulfilled all eight prophecies is one in, one in ten to the 17th. That would be 100 quadrillion. That's bigger than the national debt, which is huge when you think about it. 100 quadrillion. One in 100 quadrillion. That's the chance 
that any eight, that all eight of these prophecies, pick any of them, would be fulfilled. Long forecasted is Christ's birth. And his birth was met with great joy, as we might understand in Luke 2 that was read earlier. By hope, said in Luke 2, verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This great joy at the birth of Christ coming because the fullness of time had finally come after years and years and years. In the same passage in the second chapter of Luke, when the angels went away from them, the shepherds into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened. The Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured these things up, pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for they had heard what they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Great joy meets the birth of Christ as he comes. Probably my favorite scene in the whole New Testament regarding the coming of Jesus that first time was the old man Simeon, who Steve referred to in his prayer. Simeon was a devout Jew, it says in Luke 2. This man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. For all the people who missed what Jesus' birth meant, Simeon was not one of them. He waited. The Holy Spirit upon him. It says in verse 26 of Luke 2, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, listen to what he says. He took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. You see, Simeon got it, that Jesus would fulfill the Abrahamic covenant to be a blessing to all peoples. And the fulfillment was right there. He saw the baby, the toddler at this point, and he held him. You just see baby Jesus wiggling around as this old man said, He's it. Met with joy. Anna the prophetess acted in a similar way shortly after Simeon met Jesus. You remember the response of the Magi when they saw Jesus. I don't know that they were believers, but they certainly understood what the prophecy said about this one who's Christ. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Worship, joy, great happiness attends the birth of Christ, this long forecasted event. And you know, one of the wonderful uh, treasure Treasures we have as a church are the hymns that have been written about the coming of Christ that we sing at this time of year especially. They wonderfully balance this joy and the solemnity, I think. Think of some of the words that we sing throughout this season, capturing the joy of Christ's birth in particular. It came upon a midnight clear, the glorious song of old, O rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. Little town of Bethlehem, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praise the sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. Good Christian men rejoice. Jesus Christ is born today. Silent night, holy night, all this calm, all this bright, shepherds quake in the sight. 
Glory stream from heaven afar. Holy hosts, sing hallelujah. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Tidings of comfort and joy. What child is this whom angels greet with anthem sweet? This is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. Angels we have heard on high. While by sheep we watch by night. How great our joy. Angels from the realms of glory, all creation join in praising God, the Father, Spirit, and the Son. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills everywhere. Christ is born. As with gladness men of old did the guiding star behold, as with joy they held its light. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. It's actually a hymn about Christ's final coming, but we use it now because it's a joyous time. Come on, come on, Emmanuel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Come, thou dayspring from on high, and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. This great joyful celebration that we call the Advent season or Christmas. We would also say, in light of this, that I think most of us agree that modern culture seems to latch on, at least, to the joy side of Christmas, right? It's an occasion to eat, to drink, and to be merry. All your office Christmas parties that you look forward to every year. It's a season of mass consumption and celebration, a season of mass purchases, time off of work, time to travel to see the family, eat another turkey, time to go to church even if you don't go the rest of the year, time to watch It's a Wonderful Life, or Miracle on 34th Street, or one of the many versions of A Christmas Carol, time to watch Charlie Brown's Christmas, that radically religious cartoon, meet the heat miser once again. For his brother. How about that claymation Santa, those claymation Santa specials from the 60s that we still watch every year? Rudolph. Time to watch the Grinch who stole Christmas again. Gift exchanges, pageants, caroling, sleigh rides, festivals of lights, Trans-Siberian orchestra concerts. The modern culture latches on to the joy side of Christmas no matter who they seem to be. You may have seen it on a Christmas card. Norman Vincent Peale has this popular saying, Christmas waves a magic wand around and over this world, and behold, everything is softer and more beautiful. No idea what that means. But that's the sentiment, the warm fuzzies that Christmas brings across the culture. Charles Dickens, who I do not believe was actually a Christian, wrote this about Christmas. I have always thought of Christmas time when it has come round as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable time, the only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not some other race of creatures bound on other journeys. The sense of warmth that pervades the human race. And how about the Grinch? And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas perhaps means a little bit more? We have no idea what, but the Grinch gets at least that it's a nice time. It's a joyous time. Culture gets it. How about the Christmas albums? Ad nauseum. Neil Diamond, Mariah Carey, Elvis, Barry Manilow, Hall and Oates even has a Christmas. 
Ronnie James Dio fans might like to know he has a version of a song. If you don't know who he is, don't worry about it. But for those who do, Ronnie James Dio has a song that he's done. God rest you, Mary Gentlemen. Check it out on iTunes. Whitney Houston, Barbara Streisand, James Taylor, Willie Nelson, Kenny G. They all have their Christmas album. Toby Keith, Winona. Sting even has a Christmas album this year. And Bob Dylan, 2009 rendition. You can take all these to the bank, of course. But modern culture generally likes to latch on to the joyous side of Christmas, even if they don't have a clue about what they're singing. Well, for Christians who know the scriptures and truly rejoice in what Christmas ultimately means, we also must consider that the birth of Christ was and is a cause for sober solemnity. Let's think of that angle now. I read in Genesis 12 how the forecast of the one to come was given to Abraham, which is a great blessing. Genesis 3, though, some nine chapters earlier, gives the specifics of why he would come. It says in Genesis 3, right after the fall of man occurs in sin, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. Jesus will bruise the head of the serpent. That means to kill the serpent. And you, the serpent, shall bruise his heel. You will cause him suffering. Prediction, a forecast of what Jesus would come to do is already there in Genesis chapter 3. Thousands of years before Christ would come. In that Great psalm written by David, forecasting the words and thoughts of Jesus on the cross in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. And the great prophet Isaiah says in the 53rd chapter, after saying in the 7th and 9th chapter that the baby would come, in the 53rd chapter tells us what the baby would eventually do, He who has believed what he has heard from us. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no former majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's the baby. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave, that little baby, with the wicked, and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. In the 10th verse of Isaiah 53, possibly the most impacting verse of the whole Old Testament, says very simply, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That's the baby. The will of the Lord to crush him. The shadow of death seemed present in Christ's birth and his life. The wise men came and gave gifts. Some scholars surmised that the gifts 
the wise men gave forecasted the difficult life Jesus would live, even possibly giving spices that would be used to wrap his body after his death. The shadow loomed for Christ. Simeon understood, as he held the baby in joy, that this baby would walk a walk unlike anyone else. The Messiah would be sacrificed. And Simeon, this old man who had lived his life, had to know at some level that these parents who were presenting this child would experience a pain that no parent should have to deal with. And in a case like Jesus, even more unique than anything else they had already undergone, that Jesus would have to die for him to be the consolation of his people. And Jesus did not hide this fact at any stage of his ministry. People missed it. His disciples constantly were obscured from the truth. Their eyes were not open to it often. But Jesus said it in many times and in many ways. In Mark 10:45, he says, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Matthew, towards the end of Matthew, after living a long life before these a long time of ministry before these disciples says, as he was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on his way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock, to scourge, and to crucify. And the third day he will be raised up again. The shadow of death seemed present in Christ's birth and life loomed throughout And you know, these great hymns I just referred to, the reason why they're so good is they're balanced. They give us the joy and the solemnity, most of them. Came upon a midnight clear, the glorious song of old. O rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. There's an undertone implicit that we would need someone to give us rest. Little town of Bethlehem, O child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. A reference to the reality of our sin. It's not all joy. Hark the herald angels sing. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings. In other words, we don't have life apart from Him giving it. Risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Raise us. We must be dead then. Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now you need not fear the grave. But you should fear it if you don't have Christ. That's what he's saying. Mm, Silent night, holy night, son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Redemption costs. O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Sing, choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. Yea, Lord, we greet thee. We need you to come to save us, is the undertone of all of these hymns. The most explicit is the hymn we'll sing when we close, What Child Is This? Three verses, very simple. But it says so powerfully in the second verse, Good Christian fear, for sinners hear. The silent word is pleading. Nails, spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. While by sheep we watched at night, There should be a child lying in a stall, this child who shall redeem us all. How great our joy. Yes, there's joy, but the joy comes to the somber, solemn reality that we need our sins to be paid for. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel. 
Free us from Satan's tyranny. Let all mortal flesh keep silence, Lord of lords, in human vesture. In the body and the blood, he will give to all the faithful his own self for heavenly food. See, modern culture gets the joy side, but the modern, modern culture seems to miss the solemnity of Christmas. When the parades are shown on TV, absent will be references to the death of Christ. When the college bowl games are cranking and everyone's wearing, everyone's wearing a Santa hat, there will be no reference to the need of Christ's atonement. As you shop or you dine, you'll hear a plethora of schmaltzy songs that exemplify a cheesy sentimentalism that has been attached to what has generically been labeled the holidays. Even the root meaning of holiday has been obscured, literally meant holy day at one time. Instead, we substitute our desire for warm fuzzies, almost escapist notions of mushy, sappy feelings. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Silver bells, chestnuts roasting, dreaming of a white Christmas. Tony, you're such a Scrooge. Why do you say this? Hey, you could sing here. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas if you want, but just recognize that's not what it's really all about. That's escape. It's not real. We need real joy and solemnity. That's what we need. That's the coming of Christ. Indeed, modern culture seems to miss the solemnity of Christmas. In some cases, it does so on purpose by banning things like nativities. And I find that amazing because the secularists have figured out why they should ban the nativity because the nativity basically gives the message that you need this birth to save you. And who wants that today, right? So we ban it. Season's greetings has replaced Merry Christmas. Brothers and sisters, we have been given the full counsel of God so we can interpret these events right. It's not just about the joy of the baby being born. It's the solemnity about what he came to do and did and accomplished and finished. You know, the book of Hebrews, and I'll close with this reference to something Jesus says. Sometimes in Scripture we're given what I call a divine commentary on the mind of God as it relates to actions he takes. Here is one that reveals the mind of Christ as he comes, as he lays by for a time independent access to his full attributes as God to accomplish the will of the Father. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, listen to what is said. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, so at his incarnation, Christ said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. In other words, those things that forecasted or prefigured or shadowed Christ are now realized in Christ. He's here. That's what he says as he arrives, if you will. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, Jesus says. When he said above, and then the text repeats what has just been said. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. So the shadow has gone away. The sacrificing of bulls and goats, the prefiguring has gone away now. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. This is in the mind of Christ as he comes to earth. The sacrifice he would make. In verse 11 of Hebrews 10, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. 
For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There is indeed an unusual admixture of joy and solemnity when we contemplate the birth of Jesus. But let's have the whole counsel of God before us as we consider it this year. And as Christians, let's maintain this admixture in our Advent and Christmas observances. Let me just give you a few closing ways in which you might do this or continue to do this in the next couple of weeks. First, keep reading the birth of Christ accounts in the Gospels. Read them often during the season. Really pause and ask children especially what it means when it says in Matthew, for he will save his people from their sins. Also, take advantage of the various Christmas angled events that we have here and that you see about that focus your mind on the whole counsel of God regarding this time of the year. The worship times we have, the readings, the Advent candles, the Advent hymns, Advent sermons. Also, talk about and analyze the the commercialism of the season. Not to be Ebenezer Scrooges, but to keep focus in the midst of the real world in which we live. That so largely misses the solemnity of it. Also, never forget that Christ's coming as a baby is about the gospel. It's about Jesus coming to live a substitutionary, sinless life, to be counted as worthy, to be the sacrifice for those of us who could not have and have not lived this life. Christ coming as a baby is about becoming man because sins were committed by men. Christ coming as a baby is truly and deeply about him coming to save his people from their sins. MacArthur said it well when he wrote that the important issue of Christmas is not so much that Jesus came, but why he came. There was no salvation in his birth, nor did the sinless way in which he lived his life have any redemptive force on its own. His example, as flawless as it was, could not rescue men from their sins. Even his teaching, the greatest truth ever revealed to man, could not save us from our sins. There was a price to be paid for our sins. Someone had to die Only Jesus could do it. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ was born to die. How solemn. But at the same time, how joyful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by all means and with great excitement, we sing, we celebrate, we buy gifts for those we love. We make much of being joyful and merry during the Christmas season. At the same time, we do not wish to become complacent or negligent as we contemplate the words of the gospel. For he will save his people from their sins. We know those soft little hands fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb were made so that the nails might be driven through them. Those baby feet, pink, chubby, and unable to walk, would one day walk up a dusty hill to be nailed to the cross. Our Lord Jesus was born to die. And he did so to set us free. How great our joy. Christ we pray. Amen.